Greetings, everybody. Another week here on Scale Up with Nick Bradley. And the topic this time around, I have to say, is a very, very interesting one. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been surrounded by narcissists in your life? Maybe at work, maybe in your social circles, maybe at home, I hope not, perhaps in other situations. Well, I certainly have, right, in my days of private equity. Do you feel like you need some guidance on how to navigate yourself around people exhibiting narcissism? Well, I'm glad that you stumbled upon this week's episode because I have on the mic with me the author of the new book, Slay the Bully, How to Negotiate with a Narcissist and Win. Yes, my friends, listeners, in this episode, we're not going to just talk about negotiation, but more specifically, negotiation with narcissists. And joining me today is my good friend, Rebecca Zung. And she is absolutely equipped to guide us on this topic because she is a narcissism negotiation expert. That's a bit of a tongue twister. She is the founder of the Slay Negotiation Method. She's a hugely popular YouTuber with more than 25 million views in less than two years. As I said, 25 million. And she is also one of the top 1% attorneys in the US, having been recognized by US News and World Report as a best lawyer in America. Now, if that hasn't got you fired up, I don't know what will, but here's a few of the other things that we're gonna discuss today. Firstly, what actually is narcissism? There are different types and how they manifest in a person. We're gonna talk about the link between narcissism and perceived success in the business world. In fact, I'm gonna share some of my insights there. We're gonna talk about Rebecca's career journey into becoming a narcissism negotiation expert the Slay Negotiation Method, which she has herself developed. And we're going to bust some myths about what narcissism is, what narcissism isn't, and finally, how you can deal with narcissists in your own life, and most importantly, win. If you can learn how to deal with them and you can learn how to feel whole and feel complete and, and know who you are and stand in your power, nobody can touch you. There you have it. Welcome to Scale Up with Nick Bradley, Rebecca Zong. Hey everyone, it is Nick Bradley here. Welcome to another week, another episode of Scale Up. I have a good friend on the show today. We are going to be getting into all things, not just negotiation or tips and techniques of how you can negotiate better. We're going to get into how you can negotiate with narcissists. Now, I have my fair share of stories from private equity, which we'll get into, but we are going to get into some of her stories as well. So welcome to the show today, Rebecca Zung. Thank Hi. you. Thank you so much for having me, Nick. It is always so much fun to hang out with you. We were introduced by a good friend, Amberly Largo, and then we got to meet only a few weeks ago in San Diego, and that was good fun. So <laughs> much fun. We might have been surrounded so by fun. some narcissists there. Let's not get into that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this show, we don't hold back on this show and we don't edit. That's how it is. Well, you know what? That's the best fun when we don't edit because then all the good stuff ends up being left in, right? That's right. So let's get into this. Let's get into so how, because I, I get the idea that, you know, you used to be a absolute top attorney, right? And I get the whole idea that that background, you know, you have to be able to read the room, negotiate, uh, be able to influence and persuade. Where does this concept around narcissism come from? 
Well, it's interesting because I obviously was in rooms that had narcissists, but I didn't really know that I was dealing with narcissists per se as an attorney at the time, because the word really wasn't a word du jour until a few years ago. You know, I, I used to joke that all the husbands would say their wives were crazy and all the wives would say their husbands were controlling. I mean, it was pretty much, <laughs> I used to say that yep. was going to be the name of one of my new books. That's a great title. Or at least that's probably a movie actually. Or, or both. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because that's, you know, what they would all say. And so it really wasn't the word narcissist until the last few years. Let's define it for people because it comes up a bit. And if someone asks me, you know, what is it? Probably the most simplest definition I've ever heard is this idea of like a God or a God, you know, complex, right? Where you have this kind of ability, if you like, or this thought that you are above lots of people and therefore you look down and you talk down and et cetera, et cetera. But what, what is the textbook definition of this? What actually is it? Yeah, I mean, there's a DSM-5 definition, and and the DSM-5 is what the psychologists and psychiatrists use, and there are many different criteria there. And if you have, you know, a certain number of the criteria, then they say, okay, then you are a narcissist. But I like to actually kind of keep it more in layman's terms, which is you have to picture a person who feels totally and completely empty inside. And I, I actually like to say feels this way because uh, every human has inherent value, obviously, Mm -hmm. but this is, you have to picture a person who feels totally and completely empty inside. Like there's, is that really the starting point? I mean, like, cause, cause, and and then, and then they, what they, this is how you're going to, you're going to so understand this personality type when I explain it this way, they feel totally and completely empty inside. Like there's this black hole inside of them that can never be filled. It's like it it totally can never be filled. Do they recognize it? They, they they do, but they don't really, it's like there's two selves, right? There's this teeny little false, se- well, there's this true self inside and then this false self that they show the world, right? Okay. But there's this black hole inside of them that can never be filled. So they try to layer on value from external sources, right? And so to fill constantly the void. looking, yes. And so it's, it's, it's absolute scarcity to the utmost extreme. So they're in survival mode all the time, all the time. And so the people around them, especially people who are close to them, they want them to fill this void and they might want to fill it too. And so you're left feeling totally and utterly depleted. They're still starving. It's like they need it's like a vampire that's air. not getting enough. Like, 100%. so they're, they're literally sucking energy out of the environment. Literally other people sucks it, literally sucking energy. And so you're left feeling utterly depleted. They're still starving. And that's why they can't have empathy for others because 
They just are in survival mode constantly, mm. constantly survival mode, scarcity to the utmost extreme, fear-based constantly. And it, it is really a spectrum, but I'm talking about the full end of the spectrum where it's completely narcissistic personality disorder, and it is a disorder. It is something that is you know, on the books as a personality disorder, it cannot be fixed. It cannot be healed. And so this is how they walk around. And this is, so this is a person who has literally no empathy for other people. And so that's why, you know, it's just sucking the environment. And so they, they want, they need something called narcissistic supply and they get it from the environment and they get it really in two main ways, which I call diamond level supply, which is the best versions, uh, which are adulation, big cars, prestigious friends, prestigious job, money, you know, all the things that you can see, right? That's the, the best version, the one they love the most. And then there's what I call the dark underbelly of narcissistic supply, which is the manipulation, uh, treating people poorly, debasing people, deriding people, controlling people. That's the what I call dark underbelly, what I, what, what I call coal level supply. You know, I, so diamond level supply, coal level supply, this is the form of supply they don't necessarily always show people, but they also love this form of supply. They also need this form of supply and they feed their ego with that form of supply. Do all narcissists well. have both? Uh, yeah. I mean, but covert narcissists will use maybe passive aggression, maybe guilt trips, maybe, you know, the, the, the coal level supply might be a little bit more, you know, harder to pinpoint. Mm -hmm. Uh, It sounds to me like, you know, it stems a little bit from significance or the feeling of insignificance. It's always that. And the other thing I'd say, and this is, this might be something that's polarizing and you may not may disagree, which would be great is don't we all have this tendency at certain points? I mean, maybe not massively like, like what I call clinically. Of course, of course, but it, you have to go back to that empathy factor, right? And, and also, you know, what motivates us. And, and there are times that of course we all have insecurities. We, of course, we all have these feelings sometimes and, 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 you know, and by the way, there is a form of healthy narcissism too, but it, you know, and it's okay to feel a little bit better about ourselves than we actually are. And, and you know, that sort of thing, which is fine. And there are times that maybe we're sick. And so we're a little bit more, you know, uh, self-centered than we normally are something like that. That's fine. But that's why I'm saying it is a spectrum. I'm talking about people who are all the way to the other end of the spectrum who literally are in survival scarcity mode completely and cannot feel anything for anybody else. Your dog got run over, whatever. They don't, they just cannot 
feel anything for where does it else. where does it come from rebecca is it something that you develop over time or is it a condition mm -mm. or something that you're born with no it was developed in childhood okay. as a result of trauma as a result right of trauma. so there's a pretty much all that so something's happened when you're growing up as a kid and that stays with you and you develop this condition from survival. it. survival yes survival mode mm. and it was you know damage to uh, the limbic system of the brain, emotional damage, because you literally were in fight or flight mode several times over. And these chemicals were released because, you know, when you're in fight or flight mode, I just, I just literally did all the research on this because I just finished my book. Right. And so what happened was as children, they were exposed to this trauma over and over again and you know, when you're in fight or flight mode, what happens is all these chemicals get released because, you know, our bodies are getting ready, prepared for being, you know, are we going to have to fight? Are we going to have to run fast? Are we going to have to do these things? Right. And so our, our brains are bathed in chemicals. The limbic system in our brain get bathed in chemicals and so, but what happened as children with them is that it happened so often that there, there was literally arrested development in the limbic system of their brain. And so even though wow. the rest of their brain then developed as far as, um, you know, the, the frontal cortex and they grew up as adults, what happens is as adults, when they get presented with certain stimuli that causes them to feel like maybe they're, you know, having to survive again emotionally, it causes them to be triggered. And, and especially, you know, if, let's say, you know, in a negotiation or in a, in a, in a marriage or something like that, where you know you're either for them or against them they see things in very black and white very black and white you're either for them or against them they're you know and if you're not if you're not for them then you're public enemy number 1 and they have to go after you and all of those things that limbic system comes uh you know front and center again and you're literally dealing with that you know two-year-old or that five-year-old or whatever it is and they are have basically having a tantrum and that's so let's um I, I i i want to delve into kind of your personal experience here as well which is obviously taking you into what you do now but just to kind of share something here so in my world of private equity and i'm reflecting as we're talking i'm surrounded by these people mm -hmm. right male and female predominantly male but but I'm surrounded. I mean, I'm just thinking back everything you just described. So my question to you is this, what is it about that sort of industry or I'm going to say high levels of success and performance, right? Because there's a lot of money in, in my old world. There's a lot of Lamborghinis and Ferraris and whatever else. What, what is it about that world that's attracting narcissists firstly? And what's the link between narcissism and perceived success? in sort of business and wealth because there's there's a lot of ceos there's a lots of people who put themselves out there that have tendencies that i can see in terms of what you just described well obviously 
the link is that, but you know, by having more power, by having more money, by having all of that, they then status, gain all that, yeah, status. They have more control, and and they want control. They they want to have their own kingdoms. They want is that to be the key? To- is the key control here? The fact that you need to have enough power that you can control whatever you choose. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. They want to be able to control people. They want to be able to control their world. They want to be able to have status. They want to have, be able to have prestige. They want people to look up to them. They want to be able to have people do what they want. They also don't want to be alone. And and that's, mm. you know, another piece of it. They They don't want to be abandoned. That's a huge part of their fear mm-hmm. is abandonment and you know they want people to fear them which is uh, another part of it and you know they they're they're in scarcity mode constantly it's and- fascinating when you think about this in line i sometimes think about um the way we operate in our human world versus sort of the animal kingdom and that sort of thing. And you have, you have these kind of, um, you know, let's, let's say it's a, a, the leader of a pack, you know, a lion or whatever else. And there are certain traits that they have that then get manifested into, you know, this world that we have some level of, um, I suppose, um, trying to be civil <laughs> around. Do you think narcissism is a natural trait? something because because you've mentioned a couple of things we'll dive back into about once you've got it it becomes a conditional that but do you think it's a natural trait that people lean in towards as opposed to something that is um you know a condition or a deficit i think it's a natural trait i i don't know i don't think so i mean i hope not for our sakes but you know i it's an interesting thought because you know, I actually, I remember that when I was in college, there was a sociology experiment or something that I, I learned about. And there were like these the, several cultures that they, mm-hmm. that they studied and there were a, across genders. Right. And there were, there were maternal uh, you know, cultures and paternal cultures, and they they were checking to see if if there were any uh, traits with females or males that were you know kind of inherent, right? And apparently there were there were no inherent traits of females or males other than in males that males tended to be a little bit more aggressive than females. Interesting, isn't it? I mean, the reason yeah. I asked the question, I don't, I don't have any, any view on it other than I think that there's a lot of how we act, right, that is driven by our environment and the expectation of how we should be, okay? And you see that all over the place because you see it in cultures, right? There are certain mm-hmm. cultures that accept practices that are considered normal because everyone else does them. It's what you're supposed to do. And then if you think back to... The reason I bring up the sort of animal kingdom or cave man, cave woman, and some of those things, more primal activities, you see this 
you know, this, this thing where the fittest will survive, right? And the fittest means lots of different things. It can mean strength, size, power, intellect, intellect whatever it can be. But there is this idea that the, the dominant of the species wins, right? If you go back into Darwinism, all those. And I'm, and I'm just curious. I'm not saying that narcissistic behaviors are healthy, but what I am suggesting here is maybe it goes back a little bit to the things that have in history shown people to be the most powerful, right? And those traits then manifest into this world. And where there maybe is, and sometimes we go down the rabbit hole on this show, just so you know. <laughs> but the, the point is sometimes, you know, where people get conflicted is because they're acting how they truly want to act, but they realize that it's not socially acceptable to do so. There you go. Yeah, See, I told yeah, you I'd yeah. give you a different perspective here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> could be wrong. I mean, could be totally wrong, but it's just a, a different way of thinking about it. Right. But the truth of the matter is that the more abundant that you think, the the more that you end up having. I mean, Possibly. well, but I think, I think that's it, true. In, in, it's certainly in, been the way it, it has been in my life. Yeah. I mean, so... I, you know, it's, it's, it's actually counterintuitive, but it is true. You see, I, I mean, in my life too, but I was also in both worlds. So, so I was in a world where, you know, narcissism was, let's call it the culture, right? You know, it was about one-upmanship. There, there wasn't, there's not much empathy in private equity, right? You know, people will kill each other for their bonuses, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, literally. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you stories and I will tell stories when I come on your show, but, um, you know, and I also think about um, some of the 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 biggest um, let's call them dictators, right? They have tendencies, from what I've read, of narcissism. So, so my point really is, I'm not saying it's necessarily healthy, but I think it's an interesting thing that there's it does. If you link back to kind of the evolution of humans, there are certain traits around power and domination. Oh, Which, it's all been throughout history, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I don't think, you know, maybe I'm not quite sure cave man or cave woman was talking about abundance and of course um, not. <laughs> those things. So it's just an interesting way of thinking about it because I, I, I've been so exposed to this world. That's why I want to kind of get into your experience that um, I do wonder if, if sometimes there is a natural tendency towards it in, for certain people and they have to repress it because they know it's not acceptable to be like that. But their natural way of being is like that. Well, yeah. I think that there's been a lot of narcissists throughout history who, you know, and, and, and does narcissism help you to a certain extent? I, you know, I think it can to a certain extent, and I think it can get you, to, you know, pretty far to a certain extent, you know, because you, you don't care about people and you're, you are willing to just step on people and, and not care about the havoc that you're, you know, creating behind you, and, but, you know, but then it can also cause your demise and it can also cause be, be, you know, the, the, uh, it, you know, it can cause your collapse as well because people will end up seeing who you actually are. And I think it can, it can limit you to a, a certain extent because I think that eventually people will see who you actually are. Most narcissists that I've been around, worked for, worked with, are not generally very happy. 
<laughs> generally. Well, they're not happy, but people will also find out that you don't have integrity and they will also find out that you're not very likable and they'll also find out that, you know, I think that at the end of the day, that it will it will get you so far and then it will end up limiting you. Yeah, there's a, there's a crash. Let's get into your personal experience and then I want to get into the whole negotiation piece. But but obviously you're, you've focused, you know, your expertise on negotiation with narcissists. Why? Where did that come from for you personally? Mm. Well, interestingly enough, even though I've certainly had a lot of experience with it, I, you know, I did high net worth divorce for a long time and high okay. net worth divorce, just so that people understand what that means. And it's, it's the only kind of law I ever practiced. It, I practiced law in Naples, Florida, which is one of the most affluent communities in the country. Uh, you know, when I tell people that it's the most millionaires per capita, people don't even realize how wealthy the community is. And I had the top family law practice there. I, you know, a lot of people don't realize that people have homes there and they claim residency there. Even if they don't actually live there full time, they claim residency there, which means they end up having to get divorced there. And it's, it's one of only two cities in the world that has two Ritz Carltons. It's, it's really? there. I do like oh, that. Yeah. I do like Naples, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> so I know exactly only, what you're talking about. Yeah, it's only there and and Shanghai, mm. by the way. And and so, you know, I represented Arnold Schwarzenegger's goddaughter. I traveled with Arnold all over the world. I've represented the founder of melting pot restaurants and, you know, the owner of the largest Mercedes dealer uh, in the world. And, you know, I've represented some pretty uh, major clients. And so, you know, high net worth divorce means you have to have a pretty high level understanding of of business law, trust law, all kinds of. How, how did you get into that? Quick segue. How did you actually decide to be, you know, that in that profession? I actually didn't. I wanted to do business law or business transactions. And I ended up, uh, my husband was in my, I met my husband in law school. He was a year ahead of me. We went, he, my husband actually started off as a state attorney and he's now business law attorney, but we ended up at a, a state attorney's dinner while I was still in law school. And I met this woman who was doing high net worth family law, and she was one of the top in the state. And she happened to be half Chinese like I am. And I sat with her at dinner and we got, got to talking and she was like, oh, you should come work for me. My business is basically like dissolution of, of businesses and that sort of thing. And she basically just talked me into coming to work for her. And that's how I ended up in right. getting into it. So, um, and you know, the rest is sort of history. But I, I was dealing with narcissists, but I didn't know the word narcissist. It was only after a, a few years ago, I merged my practice with these two other amazing guys who were part of the Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers. And I, you know, decided to split my time between Florida and LA because my husband wanted to move to LA. 
that I decided to go into more entrepreneurial things. I knew I was more of an entrepreneur at heart. In one of those endeavors, I ended up with this woman who ended up to be a covert narcissist. And this was just a few years ago. And I didn't covert, know covert as in, I know we, we touched on this when we first started talking, but let's start to describe the characteristics again, just so people can resonate with that. Yeah. So a covert narcissist is actually a grandiose narcissist is what I call like the garden variety narcissist. This is the, <laughs> this is the one that you, you all think of, right? Yeah the boastful bragging one that goes around telling everybody how great they are. You know, here are all my accomplishments demanding the best table, you know, there are names I, that we both know that keep popping into my head again. Anyway, let's keep going. I know. I mean, I always <laughs> want to say names, but then I, no, I stop myself because I don't want to get into that, but, <laughs> but we can all I, picture people that we know. I mean, I can, I can see people right now. Who, I can, you can see how they walk into the room. They have to be the, the person. I get it. Totally get it. Correct. Yes. And I actually kind of thought all narcissists were male, misogynistic mm -hmm. kind of, that sort of presence, you know, that's what I thought of as a narcissist, frankly. I didn't realize that they could be female, covert, you know. And then somebody mentioned to me that this person was a covert narcissist. And I thought, well, what is that? I didn't even know. Mm. And so I got a book on it. And that sent me down this path this of reading dozens and dozens of books on narcissism. And I was already mastery level negotiation expert. I had been the keynote speaker at the American Bar Association on negotiation. I wrote a book called Negotiate Like You Matter. Robert Shapiro wrote the foreword for me on, on that book. I mean, I, I definitely had achieved mastery level in you know, negotiations. I'd spoken all over the country on. You just that. didn't recognize that you were negotiating between narcissists all the time. And I just didn't know. So give and us, so before we get into that piece, I just want to go back to the COVID piece. Give us um, two to three traits. So if I'm, you know, at work, I have a job or an entrepreneur, you know, and I'm thinking, actually, there was someone who might be like that. What would I see? What would I look for? The covert narcissist is actually, I think, the worst kind of narcissist, frankly, because they look kind and wonderful on the surface. Mm, okay. They they are the stealthiest, the smartest type of narcissist. This is the one who could be the humanitarian, the pastor, the the good person, okay. the kind person. But they are much more passive aggressive. They they're very charming and wonderful on the outside, but they are very they they present themselves oftentimes as oftentimes as the victim Ooh. as the they they use guilt trips they use passive aggression the, on the surface they'll say absolutely that they will do things are they two-faced or will they say something very two-faced very okay, two-faced and they'll they'll use passive aggression they'll use guilt trips they'll use all kinds of, you know, just small things. There's always some sort of 
way that they go about things that they could just, you know, you could take things two ways so that there's Sounds like they're, they're very good at manipulation, very good at manipulation, very good at using third parties mm -hmm. to kind of get things done. And, and so what they'll do is they'll also sort of say things about this other person, but they'll couch it in terms of concern. Oh, you I know, know, I'm just, I'm starting to, really, I'm starting to picture some people here. I'm and, really and how do you, um, about this person I'm concerned about, you know, their mental health and, you know, I just, how do you expose them? So if you, if you them. suspect someone, cause there's always a trip up, I find, right. There's always, you know, if someone's acting a certain way, there's an Achilles heel to use that expression. So if someone's kind of acting a bit like that and you are suspicious, what's the, what's the way to expose them? What can you ask? What can you say? What can you do? Well, I mean, it just really depends on the situation. I mean, the best thing that you can do is just to not give them any sort of validation. Don't give them any sort of buy-in on what it is that they're trying to do. You know, many times they're trying to manipulate you. They're trying to get a rise out of you. They're trying to emotionally trigger you in some way. So the best thing that you can do is not give that to them. But if they're, if you're in a situation where you're trying to negotiate with them, then that's a whole other story. Right. I mean, we're going to get into that. Don't worry. Yeah. The thing, the thing that jumps, jumps out a little bit as you're speaking, it's a little bit like bullying, right? Oh, you know, bullying. bullies, bullies love vulnerability. Right. But 100%. they don't like people who stand up to them or play the game. So what you're saying here is if you suspect a form of narcissism, we're talking about COVID narcissism, but there are other forms of this on the spectrum, as we said, um, the best way to deal with that is just not to bite, not to play, not to bite, not to play. Yeah. Mm. I mean, especially with the coverts because they're, you know, well, yeah. any kind of, any kind of narcissism. But I can see why they're harder to spot. And if you're in an emotional state, something's happened that's affecting you where you are potentially most vulnerable, mm -hmm. then you can be, you know, easily manipulated or not even you know, potentially blind to the things that are happening around you by these individuals. Yeah. And, 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 and coverts are very good at, you know, there's like always sort of like two ways that you can take something that they say and, the, you know, they use third parties to kind of line things up against you as mm. well. And, and there's always sort of a, a way that they can kind of not have themselves maybe involved in it in some way. I, they're very, very good at that. Mm, interesting. You know, you know, it's funny, um, just to reflect back a little bit in the, so the world of private equity, when, when we would do um, business turnarounds, quite often, you would have to put someone into a business that was never going to be the person that stays there for a long time, right? They would go in there and they would have to make a certain amount of impact or cause a certain amount of damage. But you have to sometimes break the mold to make it build again. And there are individuals that we used to hire in private equity that I think now that you're explaining who, what this trait is, were, were like this. They were masters at manipulation. They had no zero empathy. They could go in there and get a result, but it, they do so much damage to get the result. You had to get rid of them 
right? And then you had to put in someone after that who was empathetic, great leader, fantastic at building culture. But there was a need for that that kind of individual to, you know, like we're discussing that would have to go in. So it's quite fascinating. I'm I'm picturing different people who were specialists at some of the things that you're talking about. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and <clears throat> like I, I had this, that business partner who was that way and it was just this low key competitive and it's just, um, it, it was horrible, horrible. I mean, I, it was one of the most horrible traumatic, uh, relationships that I ever went through and literally almost drove me insane. But it and, did, and it did, it, it helped you become, as we, as we're going to talk about now, an expert in this stuff. And I should have mentioned absolutely. this because, you know, Rebecca's somewhat humble, but she's got like millions and millions of views on YouTube about this stuff. Right. So like, yeah. So 30 million, <laughs> 30 million in two years. Organically. See? Look at that. Right. So let's get into it. Let's get practical. I like to, I like to get into some things that can help people who are listening to this. So you might have a business and you might be wanting to sell it, the stuff that I talk about, and you need to be able to negotiate. And I can tell you right now, if you're going to be going to private equity, you'll be negotiating with these people. So that's important. Uh, you might be employed, right? You might be thinking that actually I need to be able to just uh, defend or grow or whatever myself within a business. So let's get into some principles. You have a method, Rebecca, right? Called the slay negotiation method, which you have created off the back of all your experience here. Let's break down the method and let's talk about its application so that we can help some people listening today potentially use that to progress what they're doing. Yeah. So uh, SLAY stands for strategy, leverage, anticipate, and focus on you. And strategy is the first piece of it. And uh, that is where you that's really the framework. That's where you start. That's your GPS. That's where you create your vision. And, you know, many times when you're dealing with a narcissist, you just feel like a turtle on your back, mm, you know, like you just, you just feel like you're just in defensive mode all the time. And, and it's so common. It is so, I, I say no judgment on that because you just feel like, you just want to point the finger all the time on what they're doing, what they're doing, what they're doing. And you're just concentrating on that. So con constantly and you forget literally, I mean, you know, the times that I do my one-on-ones, I say, what is it that you want? And many times they just, they haven't even thought about that because, because they're just they're so consumed by the environment and the situation they're in. They can't think outside of that because it's affecting them so much they've completely forgotten about what it is that they want, right? So strategy, mm. the first thing is your vision. What is it that you want? You, you need to focus on that. Then the second piece is leverage. And how you build your leverage is thinking in terms of those two types of supply that I was talking about. The really main thing it, I mean, there's many different ways to build leverage, but the main piece is to think about those two types of supply that I was thinking about mm -hmm. that I, I explained before, because when you're dealing with a narcissist, they do not want to be exposed. So the way that you have to build leverage is think about a form of supply that is going to be more important for the narcissist to keep than the supply that they get from jerking you around, which is that coal level supply. So give us Most, an example of that specifically. Yeah. 
So most people think that a narcissist, here's the myth that I'm going to bust right now. Most people think narcissists just want to win. That myth is totally wrong. Okay. And the reason why is because that myth completely forgets about coal level supply. It only thinks about diamond level supply. They also love to manipulate you, to see you squirm, to make you crazy, to jerk you around. That's why you can never get your cases settled because they love the game. Right. So I get it. So, so that they're not looking for the end result. I mean, I assume there's a point where they want to win, but they want to kind of string you along as long as possible because it's the journey, right? Right. That's why they constantly move the goalposts. That's Mm, why they constantly, they'll send you over a proposal. And then even if you come back and say, yes, I'll take all of the things that you offered. Okay. they, They come back with, well, that's changed. And it's changed because you took too long or it's changed because, you know, I don't like that deal anymore. It comes back to that point around power and control. But how do you, if we talk about leverage, you know, and you realize that it's not just about giving them the win or or surrendering the win. It's also about, you know, giving them enough, let's call it sport in the game. Right. So if the game it finishes too quickly, they might be disappointed. How, wh- what do you do? You, know, you have to, you have to figure out how to um, threaten a source of supply. That's more important for them to keep so high, a different hierarchy of it. So what's a higher than the supply that they're getting from jerking you around. And right. so here's an example. Okay. I mean, this is a really easy example because it's always so easy for people to understand. So I had a situation one time where a, a, Fortune 20 CEO was, you know, had all the power in the marriage, right? And, but when we went into the divorce situation, it turned out that he had been, you know, sleeping around with many different types of escorts and things like that. So he ended up contracting herpes and he ended up giving it to the wife who had never cheated on him. She ended up going to the OBGYN because she had these sores and whatever. And um, she finds out that she had this. Now, in Florida, you can file an action for battery, a civil battery case for that. Right. And so you can actually demand a jury trial for that. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so and that would have been now massively embarrassing for this guy massively embarrassing. And he definitely did not want that to come out. So now there's massive leverage against him. So, you know, now the tables have turned a hundred percent, right. Or 180 degrees. And so uh, that's a, a form of leverage that now she had against him. That was something where she was able to say, I'm going to expose you. So it's something that was more important for him totally to keep than, than the supply totally that he was able to. And the key share. thing you mentioned there is this idea of image and embarrassment. And if someone Correct. has this, this, this fragile, 
you know, exterior, right. Or position that people like they, they need to protect. Cause as you said, it's like oxygen to them for them to be embarrassed. So publicly and humiliated in that way is the leverage, which allows whatever right. other negotiations. So he it. was very, very motivated then to settle the case. Got it. No, we no, And again, I'm thinking back to my world. We, we've used those techniques and strategies as well, right? You know, because there are certain things that people just don't want exposed and they'll do whatever they, whatever it takes to, <laughs> to not do that. Correct. Okay. Interesting. So let's move on to the third point then. So we've, we've got the strategy, we've got the leverage. So then a is anticipate what the narcissist is going to do and be two steps ahead of them. And in, you know, in the a, I always say there's so many different ways that you can anticipate. Obviously, you know that they're going to try to trigger you. You know that they're going to try to get under your skin. And so what I do in this particular place is I say, here's all the different ways that you can not be triggered. And so I, I say, you know, use one form of communication, for example. Yep. And, you know, I, so I, I call it like the middle finger, right. Is one of them. So when somebody is, well, literally the middle finger, <laughs> literally, literally the middle finger is okay. one, one of the ways that I say that you can um, respond in an email. So when people are getting emails or, or um, texts from narcissists because narcissists send, you know, these long, 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 long texts to people that are trying to trigger you, trying to evoke emotion out of you. And they'll, they know how to get to your Achilles heel, right? So they'll say the worst possible things to you, you know, like you suck at business or you are horrible at this or whatever. I mean, the things that they they know that you're going to come back with. What do you mean? I did this, this, and this, and this, and this, right? You know? Uh, and so you, first of all, I say to people, don't defend yourself. Stop defending yourself. Because when you defend yourself, you're literally giving credence to everything that they say. You're agreeing that there's an issue. So do not ever defend yourself. That's the first thing. And you don't have to go point by point by point. Secondly, here's how I say that you respond. You say, I am in receipt of your correspondence. I deny your allegations. And then you respond to the only one or two things that you need to respond to in there, which might be, I'll meet you on Wednesday at three o'clock or whatever it is. There may be one or two things in there that you have to respond to. And then that's it. You know, I say, pretend like you're reporting the news, you know, you just, just it. the facts. Is it better? I mean, cause you know, going back, let's say someone sends you a massive email and you go back with a one liner or maybe even three, three words. Doesn't that trigger them even more? Doesn't that send them into a rage? That's okay. You know what I say? You're dealing with like a two-year-old having a tantrum on the yes. floor yeah. and, and you know what happens? when two-year-olds have tantrums, they're, they're looking at their parents to see, I, I just need to cry a little bit louder, a little bit longer, and then they're going to give me what I want, right? But eventually they give up. 
And I say that narcissists are exactly the same way. They're always the worst right before they're ready to give up. There's always a point in a, in a conversation like this on the show, which is like the underlining point. And I think that was it for this, this conversation, because I think the analogy of the, the tantrum and the two-year-old, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, anyone who's had kids or been around kids knows exactly what that's like, but you're hundred percent, right. There's a point where they give up because they're not getting attention, right. Or they're not getting edified in any way, or they just run out of energy because there's a certain, like, you know, one of the things that, that I'm, I'm reflecting on as you're talking here is it takes a certain amount of energy to, to operate at the level of manipulation that you're talking about. You see what I mean? It's, it's a frequency. <laughs> so what it is, what it is, is they've been conditioning you and you're, you have to condition them back. Hmm. But even and them, so, they must be operating. What I mean is not, not so much about how they're affecting the other individual, but if you think about it, if your whole world is this fragile, um, you know, tower that can get broken down. Right. And, and you're having to operate at a certain level, like writing a long message takes energy. It's, it's tiring. So I'm mm -hmm. sure that there's a point where they might get some satisfaction from the result of something like that, but there's a point where it's draining them in the same way, you know, a two-year-old can scream and scream and scream and scream. If it's not getting the impact, there's a point where they'll just burn out. Right. right? Exactly. So exactly. I'm just thinking so about different strategies that I've seen personally in my experience that, you know, I've been in boardrooms where people have picked up chairs literally and thrown them against the wall and smashed the oh, chairs. Yeah, I've seen that too. It's crazy. Yeah. Isn't it? And like, if you get riled by that, you know, or want to start a fight, it just fuels the fire. Whereas Correct. if you just sit there and laugh and go, oh, that was interesting, like that you're detached from that event. Right. You're really interesting like to see. You're re re reporting the news. I always say it's like dodgeball. Like when I was a kid, you know, we used to play dodgeball. You're just like kind of watching it go by, right? You just watch it. Okay. I saw that, you know, so that's what you're doing. So and the then, last uh, one is, is you, as you said, isn't it? It's uh right. So focus on you. So there's really two parts to the you. And the first part is you being on the offensive and instead of, because I always say that the best football teams don't win on, on defense. They, you know, cause then no one's scoring any points, right? Mm -hmm, you have right. to be on the offensive and focus on your side being offensive, not just defensive. Of course you have to have a good defense as well, but you also have to have a good offense. And then the, the last part, which is, I, I think most, the most important part, which is focusing on your mindset mm -hmm. and, you know, 99% of winning is happens before you even walk into the room. You have to believe that you can win. Uh, you know, if you don't believe that you can win, nobody can help you. Nobody can help you. You have to believe that you can win your, you know, your, your mindset, your self-care focusing on you. And, you know, I always say that, you know, there will always be narcissists in this world and, you know, they will always be toxic, you know? So, you know, if you can learn how to deal with them and you can learn how to feel whole and feel complete and, and know who you are and stand in your power. Nobody can touch you. Nobody can touch you because really living to what I call 
God, you know, universe, whatever mm-hmm. you, you feel, uh, you know, living to God's truest, highest intention for yourself and your soul. That's, that's your, your, your real superpower. I mean, yeah. that, that, then that's, that's really what it's all about. And then no one can touch you ever. Yeah. I, I, I um, talk about that in terms of purpose and standards. You know, there's a piece where if you're clear on those things for yourself, right. Um, you have a very, very strong core, right. And it's hard to chip away at that, right. Yeah. No matter what someone tries to do, because you know, you know who you are, where you're going, why it matters. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I love that. I love that's a really, that's a, I've never heard that. I mean, I, I love the concept of, of mindset anyway. We talk about it a lot on this show, but I haven't heard it put in that way before. But you're right. If the people who are successful are the ones who have that true confidence in themselves, and then actually, if you do get, if you do get, I suppose, exposed to a narcissist who's trying to break that down, it's quite hard to break that down if you, if you have that strength. You know, I found. And, and that actually is more intimidating to a narcissist than anything. Yeah. Because narcissists are very intimidated by authenticity, confidence, people who are genuine, people who know who they are, people who respect themselves. That that intimidates them more than anything. Well, it triggers it triggers an imposter syndrome in them, you see, because they they're, they're pretending to be like that, and when they see someone who really has that sort of aura, then they can't compete. Right? Correct. Wow. Correct. This is fun. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to wrap this up now and you've got a, another book. I'm going to say, cause you've already got a couple of books, right? You, I don't know how you find the time. You're one of these high achieving people, Rebecca. Um, well, I'm, I always joke I'm half Chinese and half German, which means I have no oh fun God. genes. I have wow. no fun genes whatsoever. I don't, I, well, I've, I've seen, I've seen you out in San Diego and I know that's not true. <laughs> so there you go. Um, so let's talk about, so around the time of us releasing this episode, you have your book. Um, I think it's in pre-release or certainly coming out. So do you want to talk yes. about your book for a bit? Pre-sales. Yes. Slay the bully, how to negotiate with a narcissist and when you can go to slaythebully.com and order it in pre-sales. Slay exciting. the bully. I love it. And, yes. and if people want to kind of, uh, watch more of your stuff, your YouTube channel, etc., or connect with you, Rebecca, how can they do that? Yes, my YouTube channel is youtube.com, Rebecca Zung ESQ. And my Instagram is at Rebecca Zung, TikTok at Rebecca Zung. So that's perfect. It. And there's going to be a charming Australian, charming Australian on that show very soon, getting peppered away with lots of questions by Rebecca. I wonder who that is. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine. Who would that be? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I'm looking forward to that. I'm sure you'll expose yes. my narcissistic tendencies and then I'm going to have to go crawl so. into a corner and cry or something. I don't uh, think so. No. That'll be super fun. It will be fun. Well, listen, super Rebecca, fun. it's been awesome um, meeting you, getting to know you over the last few weeks, and it's been great having you on the show today. I'm very grateful for you giving up your time, your wisdom, perspectives, insights to help my listeners. So, Thank you very much. So fun. Always so fun. Thank you for having me. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you enjoy the show just as much as I enjoy creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me. It helps the show. Plus, it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, 
If you want more information about anything you heard in today's show or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now to learn about our coaching, mentoring, and mastermind programs. See you soon. 